Hello and welcome back to Sabbath School from Home. And in this season of the podcast, we're looking at the book of Hebrews. We've reached chapter 10, and I think there's some interesting things for us to discuss here. But we've taken the interesting tactic of only commencing this recording already quite late in the evening. So either it will be a shorter episode or it will become less cohesive than normal as we start falling asleep. My name's Lachlan and I'm looking forward to this. I can hear so am I. And Luke here also trying very hard not to yawn. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a look at Hebrews 10 and perversely, given our aforementioned late evening session, it's one of the longer chapters of the book of Hebrews so far. And it seems broadly divided into two sections, the first of which deals with themes we've already explored. Um, They're consistent and continuing on with what we saw in in Hebrews 9. I think there's a couple of images here that are beautiful and jump out. Um, the, the, the The one that I love is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come not the good things themselves. So that I like that. It lets me feel a certain amount of discomfort with some elements of this old system of law under Moses without, without necessarily being too troubled by that. It was only a dim preview of the good things to come. It was not the good things themselves. I really like that imagery. Just remind us what version you're reading from, because oh, I like the language. Yeah, th- I'm reading from the New Living Translation, which is, That's um, <clears throat> I, at the moment, in the recent months, I've found it to be a, a really fun translation to read from. Slightly less technical or formal, I suppose, but it's gone to some effort with its language um, to, yeah, really come alive, I think. Um, were there any verses in those first 18 that, that you guys wanted to draw attention to before we go and look from verse 19 onwards? I think we should head to verse 19 onwards pretty quickly. I also like the NIV rendition of verse 1, however. The law is only a shadow of good... Oh, sorry. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. <laughs> yes. I think that says it nicely too. It, it, it does. Um, I, I like 16 to 18. Um it finishes this sort of section of Hebrews, which has been talking about the new covenant and and how it, it is, you know, better than the shadow that was the old covenant and the law. Um, and, and it does it by quoting from the Old Testament, which yes. is, you know, it's a rhetorical device in Hebrews that we've seen a lot. But I think, you know, here I don't, I, I find it really works. Um, the Holy Spirit testifies this is so for he says this is the new covenant i will make with my people on that day says the lord i will put my laws in their hearts and i will write them on their minds then he says i will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds and when sins have been forgiven there is no need to offer any more sacrifices yeah that is so good um i think i think that we struggle with that not just theologically but just relationally even just human to human relationships when I mean, how many times have we gone to yet again request forgiveness from someone who says, but, I, but I've, like basically says, I've already, why are you bringing this up? Like I've already, I've already forgiven you for it. Um, I think there's some, I don't know whether it's just guilt or something deeper or more powerful than that. Um, verse 18 there, when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices is actually very profound, I think. Hmm. Yes, and it is a it is a neat. If you wanted to say what's Hebrews nine about, 
<laughs> yeah. You say read Hebrews 10 verse 18. That's right. That's right. And so, um, yes, of course, if you haven't listened to our episode on Hebrews 9, then after you've finished this one, you can go back and listen to the previous episode where we did discuss Hebrews 9. Well, speaking of summing things up, though, um, I feel like that's partly what's happening here in Hebrews 10, starting from verse 19. So this is broadly the what we've identified as the second half of this chapter. Um, in the New Living Translation, it starts with, And so, dear brothers and sisters. So that's a reconnection verbally with your audience. The and so is kind of referring to, look, we've covered quite a lot of territory, but this is what I'm going to claim it means. Or this is the emphasis or conclusion that I want to draw from. That's the tone that I'm hearing. Um which means that there probably is some merit in having a little bit of a look at what is identified here um, as being the the conclusions that we might draw. Um, maybe I'll just read the first couple of, of verses of this section, 19 um, down to about 23, 25. Yeah. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise." Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his returning is drawing near. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant with which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Uh, remember those earlier days after you'd received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathised with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence, it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. So at first I didn't think that the section heading in the Bible I'm reading, which was called A Call to Persevere, um was was a perfect match to this section but by the end of it i could see it was a very good section heading even though it's extra biblical um and it's a good reminder that a large chunk of the point of all of the chapters we've looked at up until this this one are really trying to lay the ground for this argument of perseverance you 
you first learned about Christ and remember how you've remained faithful even through all sorts of terrible things. Well, let's keep on remaining faithful. Well, and what is interesting to me immediately is how strong, and this is because, I, you know, within Adventism, there has been a, I think it's it's fairly common knowledge to say there's been a, a contest between salvation by faith and salvation by works. And one of the side effects, I think, of the salvation of faith argument promoting this position, which is the you know position that I broadly hold, but one of the negative side effects that that position has had is to is to um, what's the word um, to to sort of minimise the importance of effort hmm. in in a Christian life um, to and and sort of to imply. Um, and sometimes more than imply that if if you just get your faith right, it all just sort of happens properly and correctly, and you don't have to do any work. And if you if you do sin after your baptism or after you've conf- you, you know you've you've become a Christian um, or professed your faith, it's it's your sin is a lack of faith, mm. uh, right? It, it it has no other causes or, or impacts. The, the, the great irony of that is that all it does is it turns the work of obtaining the right faith into a work. Um, yes, and and uh, it has terrible effects on people's self-confidence and self-worth mm. um, because it means your, your incorrect actions, your weakness, uh, is an inherent, unfixable flaw, not something that with effort you can get better at preventing Mm. Um, and what these verses imply and say very strongly is that being a christian after you have as it says in verse 22 after you have been sprinkled with christ's blood and made clean come down to verse 24 we need to motivate each other Hmm. we need to work we need to keep trying. We need to, as you say, persevere. Uh, in verse 36, we need patient endurance. These are not things you need if the process doesn't involve hard work and trying to do something. And by implication, trying and failing and then trying again. Um, and, 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 and working hard to be a Christian, essentially. Um, and none of that undermines and- grace. Uh, and none of, none of it undermines grace in any way. Because that the, the fact that there is effort involved, and I've said this before, doesn't mean that grace isn't involved. Insofar as grace is uh, God enabling us uh, and doing things that we could not do ourselves, um, uh, that doesn't exclude... Uh, it, it, we can accept quite strongly and firmly that we cannot do this ourselves mm. uh, that this is something uh, that r- requires and depends on uh, the work of God uh, that doesn't mean there's nothing for us to do uh, and indeed mm. verse 23 uh, makes it very clear think about this how does one do this if one does nothing let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess yeah. uh, so there is a holding at least uh, uh, that we do. Um, uh, now, the reason there is a holding 
uh, the reason we hold unswervingly is because he who promised is faithful. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. uh, but but there is simply no way you can comply with verse twenty three and do nothing. Mm. Yes, yes, and, yes. And, and exert no effort. Um, Indeed, um, and and then if 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 you look at twenty six through to to sort of thirty one. And I, I particularly like the language of thirty-one. Um, what is what is the really terrible thing to do there? Is it to fail, to try and fail, you know, through weakness to to sin, even after you've been forgiven us? No, it is very clearly stated in twenty-six. If we deliberately continue sinning, it, it is it is talking about the conscious choice to. To stop trying to be good. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, can, can I can I give an example uh, and and see if this might work? Um, I have over the years, um, with varying degrees of enthusiasm uh, and uh, persistence and con- consistency, um, uh, ridden a push bike, um, and I used to ride in a, a group known as Dad's Army. Um, my, uh, everybody called me Kenny Mudguard um, because <laughs> I started riding and put mudguards on uh, my bike, uh, even uh, though here in Tasmania that was sort of uh, not very um, uh, fashionable, um, <laughs> uh, despite our weather. Um, uh, and uh, there was a, uh, one of my friends who I would ride with, he used to be a professional six-day racer in Europe, um, uh, Tom Sawyer. Uh, <laughs> g'day, Tom. Um, uh, and I remember once riding with him in a pack, and we used to have a sprint to the, uh, uh, to the pump shed uh, on the West Tamar Highway. At the, at the end, of, we'd been out for a ride, and you'd have a bit of a sprint and so you could uh, get there first. And I remember uh, one day, uh, Tom is a you know, very gifted professional rider for over many years, um, uh, who now was doing it for fun, and he um, he said, "Come on!" P- pointed down to his to the back to his back wheel and said, "Go on!" Um, and uh, he was going to lead me out uh, for the sprint. Um, <laughs> so uh, I stuck on his back wheel, but of course I couldn't keep up with his back wheel, um, and so he'd slow down and uh, uh, you know, hold off a little bit so that I could get back in the slipstream. And, and, and that enabled me to do more uh, than I could ever have done uh, on my own uh, because I was in the slipstream of a professional bike racer. <laughs> um, and he was leading me out in a way that meant that I was able to um, go much faster than I ever could have on my own. Uh, and sometimes I think that maybe this is what, it was is being spoken about here. Um, uh, we're holding on. The, the God is the six day professional, um, uh, and more. Um, uh, and uh, you know, we we our job is to stay in the slipstream. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, of course, he needs to moderate his effort in order to make sure that we can as well. Um, but it's yeah. There, there you go. That's my. I, I think it's I think it's a helpful illustration, Ken. I like it. <laughs> um, I too I too um, put mudguards on my commuting bicycle uh, when I years ago when I lived in Canberra, and, 
and considered it to be an enlightened decision, even as it was ridiculed by many people. <laughs> well, well, the interesting thing is, um, uh, I have uh, some other acquaintances who went to race in the UK, uh, and over there, it was incredibly bad manners to ride in a pack without mudguards. Um, So it's a very different culture over there. But (laughs) I'm not sure that that has much to do with Hebrews. Um. (laughs) (laughs) We may be stretching the the cycling analogy a little too far. Yeah. Um, No, I think that is helpful. The Hebrews, this part of Hebrews clearly talks about um, persevering, Holding, holding tightly, motivating one another to acts of love and good works. I, I just love that. I mean, um, mm. acts of love and good works. How, what could possibly be wrong with that? That's a very, very good sounding set of activities. Um, interestingly, verse 25, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. Um, I've, certainly, I've certainly experienced this in the context of a rebuke, you know, you can't skip church because you don't want to neglect meeting together as some people do. Um, and then, of course, to hear that to hear that and reflect on that rebuke in the context of two years where our church meetings in the normal sense have been so disrupted by a pandemic. Um, I think there's something interesting that maybe to think about there. Mm. Well, I think it's helpful to put it in another in a slightly different context. And this doesn't come from me. I heard this from a pastor um, who was absolutely incensed that some pastors did not contact church members who had been absent from church and check in and see if they were all right and if there was anything they could do to help. Mm. Um, There is a, dare I say, there is a hint of victim blaming Mm. That, that, that can go on when someone is absent from church and we all jump on and assume it's it's their fault. Yeah, yeah. They, they're... Or they're morally culpable yeah. because they are neglecting to meet together as, as good mm. Adventists should do. Sadly, in my observation, a lot of the time that people might fade out a bit like that is actually because they've felt hurt by something that was said or something that was done. And, and okay, uh, as I reflect on some of the anecdotes in my mind, I think sometimes the people were overreacting. That's not even really the point, is it? They, they experienced pain. They, they experienced hurt. And there was an opportunity there for some healing. Um, so, yeah, Luke, I, I think that that is good. Um, I, I suspect that the meeting together in the book of Hebrews might actually be be meaning something slightly more than just simply meeting together for a regular scheduled designated church worship session. Um, you know. or, 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 or meeting. Yeah, meeting uh, program. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, for some program at which, you know, I, it seems to me it's more likely it's a reference to the sort of meeting together that's spoken about in the beginning of Acts. Mm. Um, mm. Uh I've got a question for you. What does one do with this text when the experience of church is going, enjoying the fellowship of friends, but much of the time experiencing deep frustration and indeed on occasions uh, approaching an anger Mm. that 
where you have to say the right thing or if you say things diplomatically and spend most of your time pretending Mm. that you agree with the things that are being said and having everybody assume that you agree with everything that's being said and that you're all on completely the same page so that your church experience ends up being one of frustration that seems to Mm. send you... You've heard me from talk about, about the five years I spent in Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I'm about to share an anecdote from when I was living in Germany. But yes, um, it can be an isolating experience, Can uh, I think, is what you're describing. You're, you're, uh, in, yeah. you're in a crowd of people, but you feel increasingly isolated. Yeah. Everybody assumes that, you, that, that this is because you come to this particular church that has these particular doctrines that are espoused that mm. you automatically agree well, with them unquestioningly can um, I, I i don't know if this will be encouraging to you it, it may have the opposite i don't know why you in, would assume that it, i'm talking about my own experience but carry on <laughs> uh, well yes uh, forgive me um, uh, yes asking for a friend yeah, th- th- this may have the opposite effect, but it is intended as an encouragement. My observation, Ken, has been that those who sit in a group and perceive themselves to, to, to be different are the, are, are the ones who see clearly. The people who sit in a group and think that everybody else in that group thinks and believes exactly the same things as them are the ones who are completely wrong. And... I think you get a group of the most homogenous, um, similar background, upbringing, education, culture, geography, yeah. as diet, as one of lifestyle. My, the most homogenous group. One yeah. of my scientist colleagues refers to them as stale, pale males. <laughs> well, yes, uh, it could be any any particular color group and gender, <laughs> but you get the most homogenous group you can. And you will find if, if they actually talk to each other and actually communicated effectively, and I think effective one-on-one communication is the most valuable and about the rarest thing in the world. Most conversations I observe, um, little is said and even less is understood. Um, you would find that they all did not agree with each other as much as they thought they did and as much as you mm. thought they did. I think we are actually all very different from each other we we actually don't all 100 percent agree on everything um and the real deep relationships are built on knowing that that you have differences um and and so all, all of which is to say i think you're you see clearly um except in that you're assuming that everybody else in that group agrees with each other and i would say that they actually don't they just don't mm. realize it. Mm. So yeah, my uh, again, uh, Ken. I think that the scenario you're describing, um, one of the things that's quirky about it is that there can actually be simultaneously a whole lot of people in the group who are all feeling like they might be the only person wondering, uh, am I, <laughs> am I actually fitting here? And that um, it's a little bit like Elijah. He goes and says to God after feeling quite discouraged in the in the desert and says, well, you know, I'm the only one left. And God says, well, no, there's 7,000. Um, and and I think so that's that's one thing that can, can sometimes be helpful. But I think it's genuinely true that there are sometimes uh, valid 
valid reasons for that sort of experience to just be too toxic and it's better to it's better not to push to maintain connection to that that group and com- community um i think that what verse 25 here is saying let us not neglect our meeting together um if there are a group of people with whom you find it too harmful to meet for your for your spiritual health then maybe reduce meeting with them but don't neglect meeting with some people in other words i would suggest that it 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 could be essential or helpful or valuable to to seek other communities i hope that every listener to this podcast um is getting value from this podcast while also being connected to some community of value to them but if that's not the case then at least this podcast uh, could even be a form of of indirect community so um maybe there's a bit more flexibility and creativity to to apply when we're thinking about this i mentioned living in germany the most vivid experience i've had of the the scenario you hypothetically described ken (laughs) is the (laughs) is the experience you know when we were first in germany church was church there was good it was all in german but we quickly made some friends who were competent in english and would translate bits for us and we we felt quite connected and it was pleasant. We we felt very disconnected on some things. We would hear vague mentions of Sunday morning church brunches and we just didn't know how how it worked. Where did you meet? When did you meet? How did it work? We never went to one. Uh, we, were, we were very much on the outside because of a language barrier. Um, but over time, our German got a little better and some of our friends who were our most reliable translators moved for work to other cities and were no longer attending that church. Uh, a pastor change happened. A number of things happened to the mood of the church, and it became much less warm and friendly and inviting. And at the same time, less accessible to us. And I would turn up with my family. We would listen. It would be all in German. My very young son would get zero from it, other than a vague sense of the discipline of we do this regularly. It's a part of our family life. My wife would sit there stressing so much about the noises that my young children would make that she would get nothing from it other than just stress. Um, I would get little from it except anger um, on a couple of occasions in particular. There was a sermon that preached loudly against general relativity, um, which happens to be a a very deeply and well-established theory within physics. So uh, I couldn't quite work out why it needed to be vilified from the pulpit. And there were a number of others in the same vein. And I do remember very clearly and consciously thinking to myself, what's the, if you were to do do up a, a balance table here, the harms being caused to me and my family and the benefits being gained, um, you know, am I just being silly and pig-headed? to keep coming back here. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it's, it's very real. Um, it's very real indeed. Well, we, we've discussed the, um, we've discussed the problem quite substantially. Yeah. Well, let me speak. Do, do we have any solutions? Let me speak of the solution. The solution in my particular scenario in that city in Germany was that, um, enough people were feeling the same senses of frustration that two separate uh, home church groups started. They sort of branched out, forked out from this 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 Adventist church. So so it was a a, a city, a city of about three hundred thousand people with only one Adventist church, and that always uh, reduces your options, doesn't it? If if in Australia, if you're in a larger city where there might be a number of churches, Adventist churches that you might be able to reach by driving or public transport commuting, then you at least have a little bit of choice to perhaps. Um, 
find a community of faith that is closely aligned with you and, and a little bit more helpful to get along with. So that wasn't an option, but some formed, some emerged uh, in, oh. in this city in Germany. And it started as, you know, once one off and then once a month and then every second week. And then the second home church group meant every second week, but on the on the every other week. And suddenly there was a community that was totally detached from from that now somewhat toxic um, church community. So so they did not neglect their meeting together. They encouraged one another, but it evolved and turned into something a little different. I don't think that's always the solution, but that was a solution in this case. Well, w- without judging people I don't know, it would sound especially like they encouraged one another to acts of love and good works. <laughs> yeah. So that they they may have got the other parts right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I you know I I'm always reminded of faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Mm. Without love, we have. Mm. Mm. You know that that is a that is a if there's a single guiding principle of Christianity, I think that's what it is. Yeah. Well, and and my friend's wife, uh, I think, has said to him on occasions, um, "I should change it around to make it even more anonymous, shouldn't I? I should say, <laughs> I, I should frame, say, my friend's husband has said to her." Um, <laughs> uh, well, it's it's not about you. Um, what he, mm. it's not about uh, it, it's not being a consumer uh, mm. going to church to be a consumer um, and look I accept I, I accept the validity of that uh, observation uh, one goes to worship God um, and to give mm. um, but there comes a point where you sort of feel that it's just not working mm. Um, <laughs> mm. uh, and there must be and, some and it, more it, 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 constructive yeah. way of doing it it, it is very hard because as well, you think about, well, it's not working for me, mm. but maybe it's working for other people. In which case I'm, I'm happy or, or, or my friend would be happy um, to say, uh, uh, I, I don't want, I don't want to interrupt that. I, I, mm. I, I, I want that meaningful uh, connection to continue uh, for those people. It's not something that I am experiencing. So I suspect that one of the kernels of the of the dilemma here is precisely the sentiment here in in Hebrews 10 of the call to persevere. Perseverance, you know, stick with it. Mm. Um you know, put up with it, pull through it. And and we have this very deeply ingrained I think culturally as Christians. Um and and you know, I remember a few years ago I read a statement. This was when I was involved with the Australian um Adventist Tertiary Students Association, and for for a year or two, I was actually president of the of this Tertiary Student Association. Um, I was reading a few books, and one author made this comment that just jumped out at me, and he talked about there being people who had to, who found they had to leave the church to keep their faith, <laughs> and it was such a juxtaposition. Because as you say, Luke, you know, we're, we're, we're in our church communities, we tend to be strongly associate church participation with the holding of faith and falling out of church participation to be associated with losing of faith. Um, and so this mm. author's statement of, of identifying people who l- had to leave church to keep their faith, um, <laughs> juxt- the juxtaposition really caught my attention. And it made me think a lot about this, you know, what... What are we actually persevering with? And 
Yeah, I have to admit that I'm a little troubled here by the in sort of verses, well, 28 to, to 31, I suppose, this emphasis on the stick rather than the carrot. Um, you know, for anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy. Um, it says that in verse 28, was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. And I smiled. I think it was you read this, Luke, as we were going through this mm. at the start of the episode, because, of course, we've just come off a season of the podcast where we were looking at the book of Deuteronomy. And, and we literally looked at and read and chatted about the verses that outlined the laws around, um, you know, the testimony of two or three witnesses being mm-hmm. sufficient to to lead to this sort of justice outcome. Um, so there we are. It's a direct connection. It's definitely hearkening yes. back to stuff. And Deuteronomy is quoted twice in this right in this section of this chapter. Is that is that where it comes from? Where I will take revenge? Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. And the Lord will judge His own people. Those are both from Deuteronomy well, thirty-two. Um, yeah. Thank you, Bible Gateway. You sound <laughs> smart. So I'm I'm a little uncomfortable with with invoking the stick quite so prominently here. Um, um, <sighs> well, I mean, the stick exists. <laughs> it, oh. it, I think that you know that there, there, there's something which I think is is also a very great fallacy, which is to say that since the law was done away with, mm. um, and some very depraved people have used this to justify doing very depraved things. Um, you can just sin and then you can be forgiven and then go and sin again yeah. and be forgiven and go and sin again and be forgiven. Um, intentionally, mm. as in I'm going to go and do something I know to be wrong now. I, I am, it's not through weakness or, yeah. or, 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 or loss of control or mistaken belief that I was doing something right. But, but because I want to, mm. I want to do something I know to be wrong and I'm just going to go do it because I want to. Um, and then I'll go and get myself forgiven later, mm. and then I'll go and do it again. You know, um, this the, the New Testament has been used to justify that sort of approach. I think that is the attitude specifically that twenty six through to thirty one right. yep. is talking about. It's not talking about being baptized and then sinning mm. and being repentant about your failure. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's not talking about that at all. And if so, if you put it in that context, yeah. Um, it is less troublesome. Yeah. Well, I, I think you're under something there, Luke. There, there is a strong visual imagery here uh, rendered in the New Living Translation in verse 29. Um, those who have trampled on the Son of God, mm. who have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy as if it were common and unholy, trampling on the Son of God, it's it's yeah, it's striking. Um, so, yeah. Um, I wonder... If we are really honest with ourselves, much of our sinning falls into that. <laughs> I think <laughs> I deliberately do it. I yeah. know that this is something for which I will have to seek forgiveness, mm. but I want to do it my way, and I will. Um, mm. uh, I, look, I confess that that's certainly my experience. Uh, yeah. And yet, God, and yet Christ finds his greatest uh, purpose to deal precisely with that situation, uh, with grace and mercy. Mm. And I'm grateful for that. Yes. Yeah, indeed. I think there is you're, there is something very subtle, sort of insidious in the way that sort of 
thinking can creep up. Um, the challenges of the book of Hebrews are not yet finished. We have another couple of chapters before we conclude this season. But I do feel as if there's something somewhat uh, of a concluding nature happening here in chapter 10. And I think, Ken, that you've, you've summarized pretty clearly just there at the end the, <laughs> the nature of the challenge and, and the honest assessment here. And, um, you know, I think perhaps the most, the most powerful idea of the book of Hebrews is in verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of Jesus. Um, so it doesn't really, it doesn't hold us back. We can, we always have that, we always have that door open. Jesus is inviting, um, Let's let's hold on to that thought as we as we leave it here for another week. Thanks for joining us on the Sabbath School from Home podcast. Hopefully you're finding some way to meet together with people who can motivate you to acts of love and good works. Um, and we look forward to you joining us again next week for a discussion of Hebrews 11. Amen.